The Cinema Limbo podcast is part of Podnose, the UK's leading independent entertainment podcasting network. For episode archives of Cinema Limbo and all of the shows on the network, visit us at www.podnose.com. You can also follow us on Twitter via at Podnose or send us an email via admin at podnose.com. of our supremacy became the tool of our damnation. My name is Jeremy Phillips, writer, critic, and French whore, and you're listening to Cinema Limbo. Tonight's feature is the 1997 supernatural thriller, The Car, and my guest is Chris Armsby. Join us in his gas-powered front room. Hello, Chris. Hello. Now, in uh, one of my many travels, I once visited the Mojave Desert. Oh, yes. In uh, southeastern California. And there's a legend there that if you get sand from the desert into your boots, you'll never leave. Okay, and did you? Well, I hope so. (laughs) But sometimes at night, I wonder what kind of force would keep me in that desert. Would it be some kind of wind spirit or some being who might uh, emerge from the ground, or would it perhaps be an evil car? Could be. So, with that in mind, how realistic did you find the film The Car? Uh, well, obviously, I mean, it's a searing insight into into social problems in small-town America. Uh, yes, you know, I mean, I think it's a very... It, it should be up there with sort of Cathy Come Home and... Uh, uh, the war. Alice doesn't do fear anymore. Yes, that's right. As as very you know as as social. Real- I think it's what's the dogma ninety five, isn't it? Dogma. Dogma ninety five. Yes, I think it's definitely. It could fit into one of the. It, it's definitely a dogma ninety five film. Had you seen it before? No, I'd never even heard of it. Oh. Which, which I found really interesting. It just occasionally, you 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 come across a film and think, well, this should be right on my straight. But I suppose there are some films that just. At times it feels like there's an approved list of classics or quirky B-movies and things. Um, and I, I sometimes wonder how much of it's informed by stuff like Movie Drone, when that, that almost felt like these are, the, you know, these are the approved list of quirky films that, that exist outside of mainstream Hollywood. You know, stuff like um, Repo Man and Night of the Demon. <laughs> it's funny you, ever re- you mentioned Repo Man, <laughs> because it was directed by the guy who hosted Movie Drone. I know, yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> Sure, it was just a coincidence. God, uh, God bless you, Alex. It was Alex Cox, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Maybe Repo Man wasn't part of Movie Drone. That so. I don't think it was because I think just because it would, it would have been a bit much for Alex yeah. Cox to present one of his own films. Yes. 
But no, but but just that thing that of all that, and even when you get into the kind of the the famous turkeys and things, and you get um, was it Leonard Nimoy's film Zombies of the Stratosphere or something? I've not heard of this. It's Leonard Nimoy's first film. I watched it. And I, he's, I think he's one of the zombies. It's not very good. It was on about five past... Channel 4, way back in the 90s, did uh, a whole series of, of, of... And it was the first time I'd seen Plan 9 from Outer Space. Oh, yes. And I think they did zombies, which they sold on the basis of Leonard Nimoy. Um, but the car doesn't fall into that category either. And it's just, and this was a proper... It's a this stu- isn't a B-movie, is it? This is it? a studio production. Yeah. It's a universal picture. Yeah, and that's what surprised me, was I thought, okay, fine, I'm going to put it in, and it's going to be some company that I've never heard of. No, there's the Universal logo. And it's got some reasonably well-known actors. Yeah. James Brolin, who I believe at the time, and certainly now, is uh, Mr. Barbara Streisand. (laughs) Yes. Um, Ronnie Cox gets the and. Yes, well, that's right, and that must Uh, be... John Marley, who plays the sheriff, I believe was an Oscar nominee. So it's so it's it's a it's a proper movie, mm. and yet it's just as I say, I'd never even heard of it. I mean, obviously, the good people at Arrow have obviously heard of it. What with us both having copies of it. Well, because I bought mine because I realised this it, that it existed on Blu-ray because I previously bought the crappy DVD. Oh right. Right. And then you bought it on Blu-ray because I told you to. Yeah, well, I, I, I went and bought it on Blu-ray because I had to watch it. And uh, yes, it wasn't available anywhere else. So, well, the uh, the script was originally developed quite quickly, and it was pitched as Jaws on Land. Yeah, I can see that. And you'll come back to this over and over again. Oh, yeah, it's just it's just Jaws on Land. Yeah, except. Well, it's not quite, is it? Because it suddenly it goes all weird and supernatural. At well, the risk of spoil- yeah. Well, it starts weird and supernatural mm, because the it? film begins with a, a quote from Anton LaVey, yeah. uh, chief Satanist, and that kind of blows the it, that kind of blows the film actually. Because assuming you know who Anton LaVey is, it's like okay, why have they started the film with a quote from a Satanist? Oh, it must be the devil. Well, in the original script, it was very explicit that oh. the devil was... The original script was called Wheels, which I think is even less interesting. But um, there are shots throughout the film from within the car mm. of, a, of you through the windscreen. But in the original script, there were not only going to be scenes where you see um, the driver's hands, and they were going to be sort of gnarled, oh. claw-like hands holding the... Um, uh, the steering wheel. Mm. There was also going to be a scene where the driver goes to a diner and eats some chili, and you would just see him slowly spooning chili up out of frame, and another spoon up out of frame. That's yeah. Yeah, I mean, apparently the writers were upset about the level of rewrites their script went through. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, there might be a reason for that, fellas. I think in this case, yeah, that's. <sighs> I can see if you'd done it as Jaws on Land, I could have seen it being done as there's a crazy and he's driving a car and he's killing people, and then and and you and obviously I suppose one of the reasons they go for the supernatural element is that the car has to do the most crazy things and it can't ever be damaged. Whereas maybe if you'd gone down the route of it's a it's a loony and he's driving a car and he just steals a new car. And then yeah. uses that, and then that's why the police can't track him because we don't know what car he's in, and then they're waiting for him to strike again. But the supernatural thing is is, is odd. <laughs> but well, in 
the writers did say that they didn't want to go down the route of, oh, it's a crazy man in a car, because they didn't want to give people ideas. Oh, They explicitly said, we don't want to make a how-to film where someone wants to sit and thinks, hey, this is a great idea, and copies the movie. Wow, that's a good... Yeah, I hadn't, hadn't thought of that. So that's, I think, a good point. Yeah. These days, I think... It might, I mean, it's... The parallel I, I would draw, I'd say, is with Halloween. Mm. You never really find out what's going on inside Michael Myers' True. mask. Because I think I mentioned before that you know it's almost as though he only needs, he only needs to wear gloves and then his last shred of humanity disappears. Mm. He's just an empty suit of clothes going around killing people. Yeah. So here, yeah, having just an empty car, you never see what's on the inside of the car. You never find out what's going on. No. If you removed not only all the supernatural elements, but never imply that the car has a driver. Mm. In, du- in, in Duel, yeah. you explicitly see the driver. You don't see his face, but he, you see his hand waving yes, people yeah. on. He's, you know, he's, he is, he's a physically real person. It's mm. not a supernatural film. And in a lot of these, these other um, killer car movies, of which there are a surprisingly yes, large it's number... quite a genre, isn't it? Um, there's usually some kind of reason why mm. it's not a regular driver. Like Christine... Yes. It's explicitly an evil car. Yeah. Um, but Christine is a love story. Yes. Uh, in Killdozer, I believe it's about a bulldozer possessed by aliens. That seems perfectly Because that's what happens when you write your script with fridge magnets. But the car kind of falls between mm. those two things because we're told that it's evil and there's also no driver, mm. so the car is it's a car from hell. Yeah. Yes, and then at the end, of the, I mean, we might as well jump straight forward to the end. When they blow the whole thing up at the end, there's a big demon yes. that jumps up out of the fire and goes arg. Yes, and has a big claw a made fire. of fire that comes down. And there's a big frightening mouth, and there's some shocking act. There's some shocking scared acting. It's one of the few points when I think the film they could have done for another, gone for another take. I think James Brolin in particular doesn't. Is not giving his best work in the oh I'm so shocked and horrified by what I'm seeing sequence. He's just kind of pulling a silly face. But to go back to the start, mm. um, I like the opening. The opening it's open quite gently as just dawn coming up yeah. in the desert, and then in the very far distance, just see this tiny little plume of dust start yes. to appear. And that's a constant thing through the film. There's a there's a really nice sequence later when the car, atta- for want of a better word, attacks the kids at the parade. And there's the desert, and there's a flash of light on a windscreen, and then nothing, and then there's another flash of light, and then you see the dust, and it's really it's like seeing it is like seeing the sharks. You know, you know something's coming. Yeah, it really serves to build tension. And in that first shot, you can also hear the sound of a horn in mm. the far distance. Du, 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 du. Yes. I thought, because that comes back all the way through the film, I thought, oh, it's the sound of it's the car's laughing. Yes. It's laughing at running all these people over. But the director mentions in his one genuinely interesting comment in the commentary, it's the Morse code for the letter X. Hmm. I thought, well, that's, yeah. that's perfect, isn't it? Because Absolutely. It's, it's that mystery, but also people are being X'd out. Yes, yeah. And it's, as is always the case with. Um, it's, it's shot around Utah, I think, isn't it? Yes. It looks fantastic. I mean, particularly on the Blu-ray. 
just looks lovely. Oh, the photography is beautiful. I mean, um, I mean, it's it kind of feel a bit guilty by saying it's 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 a you know, it's not exactly a travel log film, but you do kind of think, yeah, I wouldn't mind going there and, and actually having because it's it's it just looks amazing. That first location with the tunnel and stuff, where you're driving through and the the cliff occasionally seems to uh, have windows cut into it so that you can see. Yeah, it just looks 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 lovely. Just a shame it's haunted. Yes. But then again, I suppose you could argue the same thing. Maybe, presumably, people went to Martha's Vineyard on the strength of Jaws. I know a friend of mine did. Well, Martha's Vineyard's quite a popular tourist destination mm. anyway. But um, the, the, wherever this was filmed... I mean, it, it takes a lot to make, I think, desert look interesting because it's so flat and featureless. Yes, I suppose it's, it's got the advantage of it's lots of cliffs and mesas and things. So yes. it's, not just, it's not just the Mojave, which can get a bit bleak after a while. Have you been to the Mojave yourself? Um, bits of it, yes. But yeah. Made, but you made it back all right. Yes, I did. It's one of the few occasions... I, I do pride myself on trying to be rational and sensible and logical. I walked out into the Mojave... Well, actually what happened was I went to a... What do you call it? An end of... Uh, one of those end-of-line clothing shops where effectively... Um, like TK Maxx, where, where shops, they send all their clothes off, because I needed to buy a new pair of trousers. So I went to this, this place that was in a place called Prin in Nevada, which is literally on the Nevada-California state line. And I snuck out the back of this shopping centre because I wanted to walk into California. Um, I walked out into the Mojave Desert. Obviously, it's very nice, very flat. Picked up a stone, was going to take it home with me, and for some reason... I got this really weird superstitious thing about actually no, I should leave it. So I put it back down. And I do try to pride myself on being rational, but that was an occasion when my rationality completely failed me. The desert is a very imposing location. Mm. I think it's it's something to do with the emptiness. Yeah. There's nothing there, so we have to fill it with things that come from ourselves. From your imagination. And it's there's no uh, the risk of stating the blinding obvious you can't go anywhere like that in the UK I mean we can go and look no. at hills and you can go and look at well, if you want to look at mountains you can go and look at Snowdon and Squint and pretend it's taller but you can't go anywhere and see a desert no like that that just goes on forever or so close as forever as to make no dif- difference so the film starts with uh, a couple of cyclists mm because cycling in the desert is obviously great. Yeah, well, um, it is most of the time. And uh, the barely seen presence of the car, we can we only hear it in the distance or mm. or see flashes of it. It mashes one against the, uh, uh, the, uh, yeah, the wall the... on the side of the road, leaving a nice long streak of blood. Yes. And the other one gets kicked over the side of the bridge. Uh, which I looked at and... Th- I couldn't work out if it was a, if they'd just sort of done the goodies route of throwing a dummy over the side. <laughs> I'm kind of looking at it thinking, that's a really well-done dummy. And it's not. It's a stuntman. Yeah. And that's an insanely long jump. Um, it's a very, very high jump, yeah. And again, and that's... I keep having to remind myself that this is a proper big Hollywood film. Because you look at it and go, well, that can't... This is a crummy little B-movie about a spooky car. They can't afford stuntmen. And it's the... But no, it's a, it's a proper film. Yeah. Uh, and they, yeah, they had proper stuntmen. And, and yeah, I think 200 feet, they say at one point, one of the DVD extras or something. Mm. Just madness. For this film. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's not... Actually, that's not fair. But 
it's a really that that opening sequence is really nicely edited and it again you can see why everyone said oh it's jaws in the car because that's exactly what the opening sequence feels like the car is hunting them and you don't get a good look at it you just get a glimpse um there's a really nice bit i think as the car comes out of the tunnel where all you see is kind of like the front of the grill or something. It, yes. it, they, they edit it so that the front of the grill catches the sunlight and then it cuts away to something else. And it really does build the suspense about what's... And they look like teeth. Yes, yeah, they do, don't they? Well, I think with regard to it being a studio production, we'd had in the previous few years things like The Exorcist and mm. The Omens. So we knew that um, devil-based horror pictures if yeah. taken seriously with proper actors and a proper director yeah there's a market would, for would it would be hits yeah. you know, The Exorcist was a prestige movie yeah The Omen had Gregory Peck in the lead role mm. um, and Jaws was a big hit and again had respected actors so they had no reason to think that the car wouldn't follow that pattern mm. and would at least stand a good chance of being a commercial success yeah it's, so it, it it seems weird now that a studio would make a horror film like this aimed at adults because this doesn't happen anymore. No. They don't make, studios don't make big budget horror movies anymore. No, and I suppose the other thing you don't tend to get so much, you don't get a film like this that is such a weird... If you do a supernatural horror film now, it's like... Uh, What's the one where... The Conjuring. The Conjuring. Yeah, it's spooky dolls. Or it's the one... It's all jump scares, ghost trains. Yeah. You don't get a film... You know, this is not... This is not how you make a supernatural horror film. Um, these days. Uh, and, and frankly, to be honest, it's not how you made supernatural horror. I, I think this must have just wrong-footed everybody in 1977. Because this is not really how you make... It's interesting when... When you told me about this and said you wanted to watch it, and I just immediately went, oh, yeah, Christine's just come out, and some Hollywood executive's gone, oh, spooky car, yes, let's do a, a spoiler version of that. Let's do our own one without licensing it. Christine didn't come out until 1983. No. Oh. And I was, that really surprised me. I, I would have been willing to bet actual money that, that they were both about the same time. And I'm now left wondering if Stephen King saw this and it was kind of percolating away in his subconscious. Well, we have to go back to Duel, because Duel is, mm. again, with the desert setting as well as the whole yeah. killer vehicle um, motif. That's a big, big influence on a lot of horror, and I think Stephen King probably drew on that as well. Yeah. It's also worth noting that the book of Christine is massively more complicated. Yes. It's got like half a dozen more characters. Um, you know, so There's someone living inside the car as well, yes. while what's-his-name's driving it around. And John Carpenter being the, the, the great craftsman of cinema that he yes. is, just streamlined it down into it's the story of a destructive love affair where yes. a woman happens to be a car. I'm just, interesting, sorry, I'm just checking something because I did a quick, I did a very, very quick and poorly focused Google search to see when Christine came out and it told me 1983 and I'm wondering now if I'd accidentally searched for the film version. The, but I think the, the, they started shooting the film version before the book was published. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, no. So I think they published probably both in the same year. Published in 1983, yeah. So I'm just surprised. I'm kind of surprised that Stephen King was that late to the party, in a way. Um, 
He was probably busy making maximum overdrive or something. Wasn't he? Yeah, that didn't come out till 1990. Oh, okay. oh, was it as late as that? Blimey. Yeah. Oh, gosh, his cocaine and booze period did last quite a while, didn't it? Mm. I mean, good for him that he... <laughs> <laughs> good for him that he was able to get away with it. For yeah. Long. Well, actually, I think the whole idea of Christine, the idea of a love affair, but one of the lovers is an inanimate mm. object, it contrasts nicely with the best film of 1983, Local Hero. Yeah. This is a story about a man who falls in love with a town. Yes, yeah. Well, it's just interesting as well with Chris... I, I mean, obviously, Chris Dane, Stephen King's got a lot more experience, but he does a much better job of balancing the supernatural elements in the book. Um, and I suppose, again, because it's, a, it, it, because it's a Stephen King book and it's like 500 pages, he's got more time to walk you into the scenario so that it feels more reasonable. Whereas I think in this film somebody just suddenly makes the connection about the car not being able to go onto hallowed ground. And it's like, hallowed ground? Well, obviously this is a devil car, isn't it? Um, well, that's Ronnie Cox's character, mm. who... I, 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 this was a, sort of the odd period of time where he was being portrayed as of the, the flawed everyman. Yes. Because he's also in Deliverance. Oh, OK. He's the, he's the one in Deliverance who dies. Right. Um, I only really know him from Robocop, I think. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. Years later, he'd become Paul Verhoeven's reg- regular yeah. villain because he's the villain in Robocop and the villain in Total Recall. Oh, of course, yes, he is, isn't he? Yeah. Um, but in the same year as that, he also plays the president in Captain America. Okay. The 1990 Captain America movie Which starring J.D. Salinger's son as Captain America I don't and Ronnie think... Cox as the president. I don't think I've seen that one, but I'm assuming it was so successful it launched the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Where the Red Skull is Italian because they were filming in Italy and couldn't afford a German actor. Right. Well, all these accents are the same anyway. Yeah, they were, like, they were on Hitler's side. I mean, it's fine. It's close enough. Yeah. Uh, so the, uh, the main character is introduced, and he rejoices in the name of Wade Parent. Is that really... <laughs> His name is Wade Parent. Okay. Not a lot of effort put into workshopping the surname, was it? I, I don't think I picked up this surname so was Parrot. And um, he's got two daughters. Uh, his wife's run off. Yeah. But he's got a regular girlfriend who is a school teacher, and his daughters are okay with that. And I thought, yeah, let's set that up right. So for the mid-70s, that seems oddly liberal. Yeah, yeah, it, it does, doesn't it? And again, I suppose, I, you wonder whether, does it just seem odd... Because since then we've had years of sort of Steven Spielberg troubled families and divorces and mm. but yes, it's fine as you say, everything's normal and and happy and and nice. And you know they 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 might be moving in together, but mm. he's, he's worried that his kids might not be okay with it. But it turns out they think it's They're great. Fine. And they want so, it. To. So it's like yeah, there's that's there's no conflict there because that's not what the movie's about. No. The movie's about the killer car that's running people over. <laughs> it's not about whether or not the girlfriend's going to move in. Yeah. Because it turns out she can't. Because she gets no. run over by the killer car. Yes. And there's a and and it is there's a very weird it's the weird kind of soap opera B plot, isn't it? And again, I suppose it's an attempt to ape the structure of Jaws, where you have the mayor going, "Damn it, Labor Day's coming, and that's our most popular day. We can't close the beaches." And in this, you've got. Ronnie Cox is struggling with alcoholism and you've got the relationship of the various teachers and things. Oh, and there's a killer... Over there, there's a satanic killer car. Yeah. And it's killing. I, I like that it's... 
it's really thinking about making you invested in the characters mm. and invested in the town. Yeah. That it's not just that Ronnie Cox's character is an alcoholic, it's that he's a recovering alcoholic who's secretly relapsed. Yeah, and relapsed because of the actions of the car, I yeah. think, is the other... And then again, you've got the guy, the demolition expert, who, who is... beats his wife. Who's just, yeah, is a nasty character. And yeah. basically gets away with it. And the nice small-town show-off that... The, gets, nice, gets, the, 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 you know, the grizzled yeah, veteran. cowboy type who's... Oh, he's, a, he's a good guy, you can trust him, who gets killed really early yeah. on. Yes, it's as if Brody was eaten by Jaws in like the first twenty minutes. Isn't yeah, it? and and then Richard Dreyfus has to be the hero in the rest of the movie. <laughs> yes, yeah. Did you know that Richard Dreyfus was in the remake of the Poseidon Adventure? No, but that's because I haven't seen it. It's from the director of Dust Boot. Yeah, which always seemed like an old. He's good at the things that are underwater. I suppose that's true. It isn't a very good film, though. Uh, he hasn't made a film since then. Oh, oh well. Well, meanwhile, while all this is going on. There's a man playing a French horn outside someone's house. Oh, yes, yeah. And he's a zany, wacky type, isn't he? It's the 70s. There were a lot of people on drugs, and he's just a hip. Although he's then mentioned later on as he's a veteran or something, wasn't he? I think it's a throwaway piece of detail when they're talking about the kid in the wake of him having been run over by the killer. A lot of people get run over by the killer car in this film. Well, yeah. Don't don't make any long-term attachments to the characters. Um, he gets, yeah, I think they, it's just a throwaway piece of character detail that he's a good kid, he's a veteran, which I assume means that he would have served in Vietnam, because that yeah. was 74, 75, so entirely possible yeah. for somebody to be young, yeah, so 74, 75, so entirely possible for somebody to be a young character, but still have military experience, um, yeah, and he gets run over. He gets run over after having an argument with the owner of the house. Mm. He's staying outside. Uh, the owner being the explosives yeah. guy who, yeah, um, apparently beats his wife. Yeah, and it's again, it's a small town and it seems to be a fairly open secret. And the, sher- the sheriff has some kind of past relationship with her in some way that's never really specified. Mm. But yeah, it's just the sense that, yeah, just this... This is a real place. These people have lived here for years. They all know each other. Everyone's aware of each other's business. Yeah. And it it makes it feel... It's like there's a, just a bit more effort than you'd usually get in a horror movie by making it feel like it's a real place. And they're not just, you know... Well, the death... As the line is, lined up for the slaughterhouse. Yeah, well, the deaths have consequences, don't they? Because the first of the couple that die... The, the couple that are killed by the car first, one of them is the... Doct- the, the daughter of the town doctor. Yeah. The other one is the na- Ronnie Cox's neighbour, and I forget. And he lied, and he said he was off to the yeah. the nearby city for a job interview, but actually he was shacking up with her. And yeah, and I th- about and and actually what in 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 qu- what's quite a nice little character touch. What puts Ronnie Cox's character over the edge is not so much that he's dead as the fact that he discovers that this young kid who I think he's been mentoring about a bible group yeah. he's been mentoring him and he thinks he's got a good relationship and he discovers that this kid's been lying to him all along and yeah and it's and the the deaths have consequences and people react to them and it's slightly in the same way with alien when the alien munches on various crew members and suddenly the power relationships among the crew change as people get as people get bumped off it changes the relationships of the characters within the town. 
and the fact that in the end the nasty wife-beating character helps them defeat the car because they need his skills with explosives. Yeah. Um, it's like it's as if they were thinking. Let, they weren't thinking. Let's make a movie about a killer car. I come from a I come from a little small town. What if there was a killer car in my mm. town? What would what would it, what would that be like? Yeah, it is almost that thing of setting up a real environment and then dropping something completely outrageous into it and seeing what would happen. That's yeah. actually a very you know I think that, that that's that's a, a good storytelling technique if you want to tell a story that's that's a bit outright. It's just there's something about the fact that this is a devil car that I can't quite wrap my head round. I, as I say, I would I would very easily be able to cope with this if it was just if it was just a crazy. But it's the devil. It's like or is it? I mean, well, well that's, yeah, that's, that's the thing that it's that they deliberately leave it weird and vague enough. Like when we see the big um, flame creature at the end, mm. the big explosion. It, it could just be. Could just be flame. Yeah. It could just be flame. It could just be Ronnie Cox's character hallucinating mm. because he's got the DT. Yes, that's true. Um, but and, he's, and he's saying to Wade, "Did you see it? Did you see it?" And Wade says, "I didn't see anything." Maybe he's denying that mm. he saw anything. Maybe he genuinely didn't yeah. see anything. Maybe there was nothing to see. It bends the. It, it throws a wrench into the the storytelling because it's exactly like Jaws. If they made the discovery that Jaws wasn't a shark. It was the devil. Well, that's the that's the original plot of Jaws: The Revenge, isn't it? I suppose again, that, that, that the shark was being controlled by a voodoo priest. Wow, I have seen Jaws: The Revenge. I don't remember it's, that bit of it. It's not in the finished movie, but in the original script, the shark was going to be under the control of a voodoo priest who wanted to wipe out the Brody family. Okay. This was removed because it was felt to be unrealistic. <laughs> Somebody earned their salary for that. Also, week. Michael Caine's character was going to be working for the CIA. Well, why not? I mean, it's fascinating to think that actually Jaws 4 could have been more rubbish. But they... <laughs> Jaws 4 is a possible candidate for cinema limbo. Not mm. because it's an interesting film, but because all of the iteration things it went through are so weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um... There's, there's so much of that that's... Why, why did they decide to do that? And it's also, I mean, weirdly, it's also a film that won't, the Jaws 4 now, is a, is a film that kind of won't lie down and be quietly forgotten about because relatively recently some special effects house in Hollywood went back and did a demo reel where they replaced all the Jaws, well, so they, they, they re-edited a sequence with CGI sharks instead of the models. Um, it doesn't work. It's really weird, but it turns... It's very good CGI. Yes. But it... It feels wrong, yeah, because of the context. Because it's a realistic shark, and Jaws shouldn't. Be, Jaws is a mon. Jaws isn't a realistic shark. Jaws is a monster, and suddenly what you've got is this. Yeah, this thing that wriggles and swims very convincingly, but it's like watching footage from Blue Planet cut into a completely different, um, a completely different medium. It's just funny. I, I it, the the model shark's got a kind of uncanny valley th effect to it that makes it more monstrous in a way, and making it look more realistic just doesn't work. It's very odd. It's a bit like in Terminator Two, if you took out the shots of the T one thousand where 
and I've managed to forget the name of the actor that plays the Robert Patrick. Robert Patrick, that's it. The shots of he walks very purposefully, and he, it's a very stylized thing. But you know, he kind of walks like a panther or very predatory. If you CGI'd him with a realistic walking policeman, the special effects would probably be great. But it doesn't. The context is all wrong. So I think now I'm imagining him dressed as a. English Bobby going <laughs> Yes, yeah, Dixon of Doc Green or something. Well, exactly. I mean, you haven't really seen Terminator 2 until you've seen the version with the T-1000 is played by Frank Windsor. So with the cyclists oh, yes, um, the cyclist. turned into jam and the uh, French horn player also having, turned in. having parked his last, mm. uh, the cops get called in and uh, Wade arrives on his little motorbike Yes. Having dropped his kids off at school on his motorbike. It was the 70s. A lot of people did dangerous things. Well, that's, uh, that's one thing I like, is that his, his daughters are telling him off for not wearing a that's helmet. Right. helmet. Yeah. Well, I'll wear it twice tomorrow. There's, it, what it reminds me of, weirdly, is a bit in the Roger Moore film, The Man Who Haunted Himself, where he's driving down the motorway and he takes his seatbelt off. That's it. He's driving down the motorway, he's driving faster and he's driving faster and he's driving faster and he takes his seatbelt off. And in the context, of the, the passage of time was completely changed that sequence because in the 70s, you weren't required to wear a seatbelt by law. And it's going, look what a timid character Roger Moore is playing. He always puts his seatbelt on even though he doesn't have to. Whereas you watch it now... And it's entirely the opposite. He's going, oh my God, look at this dangerous maniac. He was safely <laughs> strapped in. And now he's... It's just weird. That, that, and this, the same kind of this, this thing with the, 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 motor, the, the motorcycle helmet thing. It's just, yeah, it was the 70s. A lot of people did stupid things. Mm. One of the um, sheriff's deputies in the town is a Native American. Mm. And the explosives guy, who's now I'm not going to bother looking up because he's a dick. Yeah. Um, as well as being a wife beater, he's also a racist. Well, yeah, two for the price of one. Um, at the school, uh, it turns out that one of the one of the pupils has drawn a dirty picture. Oh, yes. Of the uh, the girlfriend. I'm going to look up the characters' names. And not for the first time, I don't think. I think you've got the slightly outraged Starchy teacher, haven't you? And she's she's outraged that this has happened, and I think it's happened before. And again, it's just. It's just this sense of people... Is it Lauren? Is the... I don't recall exactly offhand. Just one second while the internet tells me things. Yes, yeah. Lauren, yes. Yeah. It's fascinating looking at the IMDB page for the car because the pictures that they've used for the various cast members are obviously just a grab bag of whatever pictures. John Marley's got a very peculiar... Um, headshot. He looks like Killer Bob. Yeah, Kathleen Lloyd's obviously got a, a still from another film. The the guy that plays and Amos is the wife beating crew. Oh, he's played by Archie um, Armstrong. He's got you know a fairly and it's a, and then Kim Richards. Yes, is it's just fascinating. And and Miss McDonald, who I assume is the starchy teacher that's outraged by the nude photo, has got a what appears to be a photo a picture from very early in her career. It's just. Fascinating looking down through the um, down through the list of pictures. It's as though they're all sort of jobbing character actors. Mm, which, yeah. Who I'm sure they were. Who, you know, used to doing sort of westerns and little character dramas and are now doing this thing about a devil car. I suppose what it is, 
is again it's if this was a bigger name film if this was let's say Jurassic Park somebody would have gone through IMDB and made sure that all the cast actually had appropriate pictures from Jurassic Park for the car nobody really cares enough to do that so it's just whatever it's just whatever generic profile pic they've got for each actor well the picture for um, Kate Murtaugh who plays Miss McDonald is apparently a picture of Dan Aykroyd oh okay so she doesn't even get oh yes I see it's from it's a still from Dr. Detroit but she's been cropped out of it and instead there's a picture of Dan Aykroyd she's been cropped out of her own IMDB profile that's um I'm not quite sure what the the word is for that I saw a while ago where Oh yes, it's the one for Roger Sloman. It's, yes, this is this is good, listener. This is good radio, isn't it? Where we're just looking at photographs. Well, it helped. Uh, but by all means, fire up IMDb and have a look at this. But now I'm just going to go and have a quick look at it. So Roger Sloman, actor, Blue Eyes. Yeah. Oh my word! What is that? Is that? That's from the Monster Club, which I watched recently, <laughs> where he plays a werewolf wearing a dinner jacket, and he's totally unrecognisable. Yes. Well. What other photo are you going to? Well, exactly. I mean, if you, you can't find a decent picture of one of the UK's most prolific and best, most recognisable character actors, and instead use a picture of him dressed as a fucking werewolf. In fact, two of the pictures are from the Monster Club. <laughs> He's got four. Roger Sloman has four pictures on his IMD profile, IMDb profile, and two of them are of him in monster makeup. It would be a bit, I suppose, like having um, the IMDb page for Fred Gwynn just being him dressed up as Herman Munster. But you can see his face. I suppose, yes, you can. Or the Elephant Man having a bag on. John Hurt's profile picture just being a bag on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would, that would be the double insult, wouldn't it? Because he's got the makeup on underneath, yes. most likely, or something to make sure the bag's the right shape. Um, so the cops find the cyclists. Mm. And, as you say, that... Um, the young chap had been at uh, Ronnie Cox's Bible group and he's devastated by this. So they put up roadblocks and they know that the, the town is very quiet. They've, they've ten years of parking tickets mm. and now all this yeah. in one day. Three people dead. And again, oddly, and I know I keep invoking the name Stephen King, but it has got that very Stephen King small... You know, it's like Carrie or something like that where it's some, suddenly something inexplicable comes to a small town. It's a much later Stephen King book, I think it might even be early 2000, called From a Buick Eight, which is actually about small-town policemen confounded by a mystery evil car. Oh. <laughs> well, Stephen King has never let an idea go no. unrecycled on several occasions. I mean, it's entirely different to... Um, from a Buick Eight is entirely different to the car, uh, and it's entirely different because I started reading it thinking, "Oh, Stephen King writing about a spooky car—that—that's original." And it, he, to his credit, he does take the story off in a completely different direction. But yeah, and, you know, it's just this. As I say, it's this sense of here's this community, and now it's about to be turned upside down. So the um, Amos and his wife, Amos being the nasty mm. wife-beating racist. They go to the police station and the sheriff is trying to persuade her to leave him. Even though he's looming in the background of the shot. Yes. And he's so... I mean, it's... We were talking earlier about um, the film Never Let Go, where Peter Sellers plays the head of a car theft ring. 
and how he manages to be utterly despicable, despite, in the scheme of things, being quite small time. Mm. And Amos is a really horrible piece of work, but he's just one person in this little desert town. Yeah. But you. In his own little sphere. But you also kind of. You can kind of. Again, because every, every character is quite a nice little thumbnail sketch. You know that he's the person that, when payday comes around, he's the, probably the one that gets drunk and causes problems for the police. And you know that he's the kind of character that, that when he dies, everyone in the town will probably have a little bit of a sigh of relief and be glad that they finally seen the back of, of him. And yet it's a nice twist to the story that ultimately they, they can't stop the car without his help. No, he's, he helps save the day, yeah, exactly. And he goes totally unpunished for all his horrible transgressions. Mm, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, in fact... He doesn't sacrifice himself he doesn't to lose save it. the day. He doesn't lose any of his... You know, his family is unaffected. Okay, they, they see the French horn guy get run over, but his family is unaffected by anything. Whereas everybody else, they lose people they care about, they lose people they're in relationship with. Yeah, yeah. maybe, potentially, I suppose, is it because the car is evil and... It's kind of giving him a thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the end of the at the end of a long day, uh, the sheriff invites Wade and a couple of the other deputies over across the road for a drink. Mm. But just as they're crossing the road and Amos is heading there as well, the car suddenly looms up out of the dark. Yeah, Amos leaps out of the way, but uh, the town's now looking for a new sheriff. New sheriff, and and this is the point when you could still believe that the car was just being driven by somebody who's crazy. So there's at this point, there's this whole mystery of, well, how did the car get... You know, there were roadblocks all around the town. Where did the car get from? How did it get into town? And yet there it is. And, of course, the answer will become clear later on. Yeah. I think this is the first... Is this the first time we get a reasonably good look at the car? Yes. Yeah. And this is... And it's a... I can't decide if the design is. I can't decide if the design is silly, or quite nicely stylized because it's got a definite, as you're saying, it's got a definite face to it. The headlights look like eyes. The bumper looks like teeth. And it has these sort of odd sw- swooping up fenders mm. and and this very low flat pro- profile. Yeah. In some ways, when it's roaring towards the camera and it's well edited. I think it might be... I always remember one of the things I was disappointed with in the film version of Christine, although I haven't seen it for decades. I don't remember the car itself ever seemed particularly threatened. It, it's a car and it runs people over, obviously, but in some ways the, the, the car in the car seems more threatening and, and more obvious, more evil. Where I suppose the problem John Carpenter had was he was working with a, an actual model of a car. He was working with a real car. He was working with a, a, a Plymouth. This, you know, is a, this is a modified... Cadillac, mm. and you can kind of see that the, the the main modification is putting the fenders on, and adjusting the doors. So the actual, yeah. the bonnet and the main cabin look the same. And what what I didn't realise, I, I obviously year, years ago saw the episode of Futurama where the robot Bender gets a computer virus that turns it into a wear car. I think that's the plot. Yeah. And I hadn't no idea that, that the car that he turns into in that episode of Future Armor is the car from the car. Well, sometime later, the following day, uh, as the town recovers from mm. all these deaths, they're having a parade rehearsal. 
and this which has been postponed to the afternoon as a mark of respect yeah and then again and there's a slight subplot here isn't there because James Brolin has asked Ronnie Cox to tell them to cancel the rehearsal but because he started drinking that instruction never gets passed on no and yeah and, and, and the car the car attacks um, well there's a scene earlier where the car's just slowly driving through the desert oh that's right yeah like like a predator yes just prowling around the uh, watering hole mm. it makes I think very good play of the desert setting yes yeah the parade I've written here is a riot of flared denim yes there it's, are a lot of there's a lot of 70s clothing choices going on there. Yeah. And as, they, as is mentioned, there's, there's evil things coming in on the wind. Yes. Have we had this... At uh, this point, we've had the bit where the Native American police officer is talking to the... Yes, it's the, it's the lady that witnesses the sheriff being run over. Yes. And they've had this whole conversation where... And I don't know, is it ever established what... And uh, I'm so out of my depth at this point. I, I, I'm desperately trying to choose the correct term. And apologies, what is it ever established what tribe she's from or what I don't language? So, no. no, no, she's it's just na- Native American. Um, but she says they interview her, and she's and it turns out that he's not translated properly what she said um, because she says she she says there's no there was no driver. Um, or does that come later? It comes later. I think he said that, that she didn't see the driver. Right. What she actually said was there was no driver. Yeah. Perhaps uh, nation rather than tribe. Yeah, that might be a better phrase to use, yeah. But the, 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 there's, there's a while until the car is fully revealed because it's running parallel with mm. where the parade, the parade is in some sort of gully area. Yes. And it's driving behind the, the fence at the top. So you know it's there, you see flashes of it, yeah. it's coming along, and suddenly it bursts down. Yes. And it's revealed in all its lovely black glory. Yes, and and it's laughing. Yeah, it is. Well, it's hon- it's honking away, isn't it? And uh, yes, and it's it's laughing at everyone. And it's having a whale of a time. Um, and the wind's blowing up, and there's people there's people on horses. Yeah, and it's. <sighs> I'm su- kind of surprised. I'm sitting there trying to remember how long it's been since I've seen Jaws, and I think it's. More years than I was expecting. It's Jaws two, isn't it, where the kids will go out for a sail and the shark attacks the the, and that I think that's what this kind of reminded me of a bit. It kind of reminds me of the bit in Jaws two where the shark attacks the kids as they're they're going out for their sort of sailing day because there's that sense of them being herded and corralled. Jaws two came out a year after this. Really? <laughs> so it would be sweet if. Uh... Jaws two stole its ideas from a rip-off of Jaws. Why not? Yeah. The the parade participants flee and take shelter in the cemetery, but the car can't enter it. Yes, for for no. But why? Yeah. But why? But why? Yes. The it's one of those sequences where, and I I, I never can decide if if you're criticising the actions that characters are taking in a film, 
does it mean that you're identifying with the characters and going, well, that's not how I'd react? Or does it just mean that the characters are behaving stupidly? But they don't often take those kids for a long run. They're kind of jogging all the way down the racetrack and then they turn and then they're jogging up a hill. They're talking about running for some cliffs or something, aren't they? But the cliffs are miles. <laughs> the cliffs are miles. The cliffs are off in the distance. There's a big concrete um, audience um, stand over there. Just go and stand on that. Although, as we later discover, this, this car can jump. It's just... I'm, I, I was actually, it's one of those times I was just sitting there going, don't go, where are you going? <laughs> <laughs> go over there, you'll be safe over And it was just, just funny. But yeah, they take the kids for quite a run through the desert before they finally get to the old cemetery. It's as if they've read the script and they know that the car is a, is a devil car. Yes, I suppose it is, isn't it? I suppose it is that thing that I'd forgotten that the, the, the script writers have to get that one piece of information across, which is, of course, why doesn't the car just... Because it keeps, it keeps steaming forwards and then it slams on the brakes and stops at the last minute. Um, and then somebody sneaks out of the back of the graveyard, doesn't it? And the car kind of makes a half-hearted effort to go for them. Well, Cathy uh, Lauren yes, taunts the car yes. and calls him a chicken shit and throws in things at him mm. so that um, the other person can go and uh, raise the alarm. Yeah, and the car's kind of then patrol again, why as if it was alive, is patrolling round the edges of the graveyard trying to get in but it can't for some reason, which we are not privy to. Although I'm sitting there going, oh it's hallowed ground, this is an evil car, isn't it? The audience shouldn't be too far ahead of the characters it makes mm. the characters look stupid. Yeah, but as I say, and that's why I think the quote from Anton LaVey kind of spikes the film's guns because um, I just went, oh, devil car. <laughs> and also the main theme over the opening titles is based on an old religious piece. Is it the main theme as well that sounds like the music from The Shining? It's this, it's the Dies Irae. Yeah, okay, Day yeah, yeah. So they, ma- they managed to attract the uh, police mm. and the car drives away at the sound of sirens. That's right, yes, it heads off and then, then we're into a chase sequence, aren't we? Yes, there's... Um, they chase the car up onto the mesa, mm. but it gets shoved off the side and immediately explodes. It's weird. That's that's such an odd sequence because the whole bit where the car stops and he opens the door and get and can't quite get out because the bumper's there and then the, the evil car very slowly rolls towards. That's all really nice and really tense and and sadistic. Yeah. And then the car, and as you say, then the police car goes over the edge and immediately explodes like it's in an episode of The Saint or something. <laughs> and. It just, it's a bit silly. And then there's two cars coming along parallel mm. on the road and trying to block the car off. Yes, because they're going, it can't get, he can't get past us, we've got him trapped, he'll have to stop. And it they, does what looks like quite a complicated stunt. Yeah, the car goes into a barrel roll, mm. crushes both police cars, Who and, exp- the, and the plan was for them to, to land perfectly on its tyres and drive off. Yeah. Like the Alan Partridge joke. It's not the first time we drove away. <laughs> And but and and those police cars also immediately explode on impact, which makes you wonder what either either the touch of the devil car makes other cars explode, or they're <laughs> because, just because all the other because the police cars were made by God. I suppose yes, that's yeah. Also, one thing that I thought was a bit strange: this tiny little town has an awful lot of police officers for someone. Yeah, it does, no doesn't it? Yeah, there was a point when I, I, I was kind of sitting there thinking, well, it seems to have wiped out a lot of the main cast at this point. But there's, yeah, luckily there's more police. There's even more police. Which does make you wonder, is this maybe not the nice, quiet town we've been led to believe? 
There's all those horse rustlers. Mm. The car finally comes face to face with Wade. Yes. Who pulls a gun on it. Fires several times, but the bullets seem to oh, yes, kind of keeps, yeah. miss or go off at strange angles. He looks for a door handle, there isn't one. The door just clicks open, and he's about to get a look inside when the door slams him down the mm. side of the uh, highway and immediately knocks him unconscious. And it's again one of those sequences where everybody's read. The, it, 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 I, I suppose this this is perhaps one of the reasons why it's not the world's greatest film because there were too many moments when everybody's read the script and and the car knows that it can't run James Brolin over because James Brolin's the the star. But there's no reason why in the world he's just lying there by the side of the road, isn't he? It should have just it should have done a number on him because everybody else that's come up against the car has died. In fact, there was another. It's the guy that's pushed off the Mesa, isn't it? is manning a roadblock and he takes a couple of goes at the car with a shotgun and yes. just thinks he's missed. Um, but yeah, so far everybody everybody that's come up against the car has died, except obviously for James Brolin because he's the star. So and, you've got a match car. And his girlfriend who taunted the car. Oh yes, of course. Yeah, she seems to be fine, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah, she'll be fine. And then you get quite a nice match cut from sort of blurry sunlight to Doctor checking for a concussion with a a torch. Yeah. And that's the scene where I think really the impact of what's happening hits home because the Doctor mm. is the father of the female cyclist. Yeah. And you really feel that this, this town is under attack. Yeah, yeah. This is something that's actually having implications for the characters. Yeah. Uh, Chaz, the Native American sheriff, drives Lauren home mm. whilst Ronnie Cox is in tears about what's been happening. And Wade comforts him and says, you know, I, I loved Everett too. And I just think that's, it's a properly close-knit town. Yeah. It's like Ambridge. It's, it's funny that, it's, that some of the character work is quite deft. And some of the storytelling work is a bit clunky. Maybe they just, uh, maybe in some of the re- maybe some some of the fine detail got lost in some of the reviews. It's it's that thing that people often talk about with horror films, isn't it? Where you need you want to have the rules very clearly established that if you do this, you're okay, but if you do this, you die. And in this case, I, the the thing I keep coming up against is why isn't James Brolin dead? Yeah, he the the car lets him live. Yeah, a number I, of times. And I suppose you could argue that it's playing with him, but that's uh, that feels more like me looking for reasons why stuff happens. You you do need to to reach a bit in order to yeah. come up with a reason why some of these things are happening. Yeah. Which is a shame. Yeah, because I it's 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 very close to being a fun little Film, if forgotten one, but it just—it's just, it's just a, a little bit on a couple of the fine details. Yeah, we, I just—I kind of want to know well, why is that happening. Or so Wade drives Lauren home, but leaves her there while she while he goes to check on his family. Mm. Little do they know, the car was the fun. car has followed them. And there's a scene where they drive along the road, and the car pulls out from the shadows, mm. and you can hear the wheels crunching on gravel until it just stops. Yeah, and there's silence while it just sits there. And it's quite, it's it's quite nicely done at times. The way that it well, the car was out of the shadows, or you will just cut and suddenly the car's there. 
there was a point that I missed, and I don't know if I was suddenly not paying attention. The the teacher's got a piece of paper that because then the wind a wind blows up and yes. it blows and she's chasing. Did we establish what that piece of paper was, or why it was important enough that she was chasing after it? No, I don't remember that. Okay, I thought I'd missed some key detail at that point. Well, while she's uh, in her house, she she phones up Wade. Um, and we see in the distance, through the window, a pair of headlights mm. appear. And as she talks, they get closer and closer and closer, and you then you hear the the horn. Yeah, and it's, oh my God, the car, it's here. And, and then it flies... And then it flies up in the air, it goes straight through the house, mm. onto the road on the other side, and drives away. It's... <sighs> But miraculously, the painting of Wade is entirely undamaged. Yes. There's Even a... his painting is invulnerable. Yes. There's a lot of really good physical stunts. Because I suspect, again, that, that sequence of the car driving through the house must have had to be very carefully worked out. You know, the, the shots of the when, when the evil car spins over the top of the two police cars, that's... Uh, what do they do? They, they, I remember seeing an old documentary about stuntmen. I must have watched this in like nineteen seventy nine, like, and they they fire a big thing out of the base of a car of the car, don't yeah. they, to make it flip. So there's a lot of proper, real proper physical stunt work being done in this film. It just kind of doesn't have much of an impact at times. The, the sequence of the car jumping through the house just looks a bit silly. It's as if it's it's old Hollywood trying to get to grips with. Yeah. This new kind of storytelling, and they're using all the skills and techniques that they have from decades gone by, mm. and so, and they still work yeah. on a technical level, but they're not having the impact that they used to because no. they don't mesh with this. They don't fit weirder, the... more ambiguous type of story that they're yeah. trying to sell. Yes, that that I think that's it. The the. It's an impressive stunt, but that's not the right place for stunts. I'm not quite sure what would have been a better way. Do you mean the crushing the two police cars or well, any the of them? Right. They all they all they're technically impressive. They just don't quite work within the context of the film. And I'm just I'm trying to wonder, particularly in the case of the teacher, mind you, how many? You know, you think okay, maybe a better solution would be to have her running and the car's chasing her and it's going... But then how many shots of the car chasing people and running them over can you stand? Because that would have... You can't just keep doing that because, OK, that's more realistic, but it would get boring after a while. Yes. Perhaps with a more modern director, and I mean modern for the time, um, do you think this might have been a bit more successful in and of itself? Possibly. Because... Elliot Silverstein was a journeyman. He, yeah. He, he feels to me a lot like a TV director. Mm. He knows what to do, he knows how to get it done on time, on budget. Yes. Everything will work, it'll, it'll edit together nicely, and it'll be a nice, done, finished film. And it will be totally unexceptional. Yeah, and, and that, I suppose in a way, and I, I, in the nicest possible sense of the phrase, he feels like a bit of a relic of the studio system. Yeah. That, Oh, this week you're making a film with um, Paul Lind and Lauren Bacall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, sold. I know. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, but it is that kind of thing. Whereas you do go, yeah, you think, and this would never have happened. But 
give this film to Richard Donner, what would Richard Donner have done with this? We know what Spielberg would have probably done with it because he made Duel. Well, we know what Donner would do with it because we've seen The Omen. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, or Roman Polanski, maybe. Mm. Or, yeah, Rosemary's Baby. Let's try to think of someone who hasn't made a devil movie. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, I was going to say... Uh, oh, I almost said William Friedkin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of people made devil movies. George Lucas... Yeah, actually. He loves cars. That would be interesting because, um, oh, what do you call it? American Graffiti is a really well put together film. Yeah. Um, oh, got it. Brian De Palma. Yeah. Yeah. What What would somebody like that, somebody that actually had something to prove, what would they have yeah. done with it? Because De Palma, he'd done a few films, but he, Carrie came out this year. If he'd done this, if he'd done this mm. instead of Carrie. Yeah. Because he he could have given it some real style and some real flair. Yeah. He generally doesn't fiddle with scripts if they work well, but at the same time he would he would make an effort to beef them up if they didn't yeah. work. And again, I mean, because Carrie starts off very ordinary and obviously it gets to the end and it's completely operatic and there's buckets of blood going everywhere. But he handles that transition very well, and it never, you know, it, it, one thing never feels like it's in conflict with the other. I wonder if the problem with the car is that the very bog standard get it done by next Thursday four square direction is in conflict with the kind of the supernatural elements. And yeah, I wonder what would have happened if, yes, give it to somebody like Brian De Palma or. Well, he's yes, or somebody that hasn't already made a devil film. Well, in particular, I mean, Carrie is a very compassionate film. Mm. It's about the the tragedy of of the girl and how she can't control these forces and how they ultimately destroy her. Yeah. If you've read the book, it's heartbreaking. Yes. And that kind of interest in the the human, the emotional side of these crazy horror events mm. is exactly what you want. In the car, it's about how this bizarre yes. event affects this town. Yeah, yeah. In fact, Carrie's a very good role model for this, uh, for, for for a film like this. I mean, in some ways, it possibly more so than Christine, because Christine kind of goes off and tells its own story. But yeah, Carrie, Carrie would have been a great template for this film. Oh, we should uh, we should we should get right onto this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> What, how much do you think Universal will charge us for the rights to the car so that we can reimagine it? <laughs> well, I imagine that they've got this on a list of uh, films that they offer to <laughs> new directors. It's... Say, oh, you want to make a film, do you? Do one of these or get out. Yeah, they've probably offered it to Max Landers. Yeah. I think they, should, they ought to remake um, High Plains Drifter. I think that would work very well. I can, you know, I, one of the one of those films I've heard of but haven't seen. It's it's Clint Eastwood does a horror film. Okay, but it's a western, so it's like the man with no name, but as a horror movie. Right. And it's very it's again it's set in the desert, this very small town. The threat of these bandits coming back mm. are going to wreck the place, and they enlist this man with no name who breezes in, who may or may not be the reincarnation or spirit of the. Uh, Marshal who was murdered there a year earlier. Okay. Who the town just stood and watched, and they didn't intervene. Oh right. So now maybe he wants to destroy the town as well. So it's mm. this very odd, eerie story. Yes, the painting of Wade survives. Yes. It's nice that he's got something to remember her with. I, I, I've got a note here: masculinity under pressure. 
I suppose, yeah, you could... Because the different responses of the the main male cast are, I think, to offer different examples yeah. of how to do things. Wade is practical down the line, not letting his personal feelings conflict with what has mm. to be done. Ronnie Cox is just going to pieces, yeah. going to pieces immediately, as indeed would I. Yeah. Um, so there are sort of contrasting elements there. And um, again, it's saying you know, these are these are characters, these are real people, yeah, not yeah. just you know yeah, and waiting little chess pieces that are being moved around. Yeah. And you've got, again, you've got going back to the the fact that Amos did we establish that the yeah. North, you know um, the fact that they turn to the person that you know nobody likes because they 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 know because he's got the experience and the knowledge they need. Mm. While they're loading the explosives to um, enact their plan, which is never properly explained. No, I, again, I wasn't sure. There were a couple of moments when I wasn't sure if I'd just stopped paying attention or whether it hadn't. At one point, Ronnie Cox is babbling about hallowed ground and then kind of says that he knows what needs to be done. or And then suddenly they're just doing it. Yeah. And I... Did kind of feel that there was a, a scene miss? You want a scene missing caption or something? Because it does feel that it does sound like he's got his plan is to pour holy water into the petrol tank. It might work, yeah. Drive a stake through its tire, yeah. <laughs> it can't cross running water. No, that's true. Yeah, and the town presumably has a priest, so maybe they could have got. Or maybe at that point it would have turned into something too much like Salem's Lot. Yes. Or having him exercising the road or something like that. Yes. Um, Wade leaves a note mm. for the um, the babysitter. And it gives the impression that he fully expects not to survive. No, he's off on a suicide he thinks he's off on a suicide mission, doesn't he? Yes. And again, it's it's very understated. Mm. It's sort of, you know it's it's going back to the sort of Western tropes of, you know, a man's gotta do what he yes, wants to yeah. do. And he goes into the garage to get his things together, and the car is inside the garage, yeah. which is locked from the inside. And this is what I quite like about that is is the way that the car just kind of pops up. Would this have looked on a uh, would have would this have looked incredibly stupid on screen when instead of the car jumping through the teacher's house, it's just inside. It just runs her over in the house because it's just in there. Or would that have just look silly? How's it going to be inside the house? But the same way it gets into a locked garage. It's, <laughs> it's magic. There's no room in the house. What's it going to be? In the bread bin? Well, I suppose. It's the American houses are all massive. But I'm just thinking that... It's the... a Cadillac. It's the size of a house. Yeah. I'm just thinking that as it's established that the house is all kind of prefab and wooden and stuff. I don't know. Yeah, probably. it would probably just look stupid. No, it's okay. I'm just spitballing now. I'm just spitballing and offering up ideas. I'm, I, I, I'm attempting to... I see I see your point, but the idea of the car being inside the house... Just being in there. The, the, <laughs> just, en- the engine noises are coming from inside the house. Yeah, we, the car's upstairs. We, we, we've, tra- we've, we've traced the honking noise. It's coming from the upstairs extension. <laughs> and then the car kind of just falls through the ceiling like something out of the young ones or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe I should stop trying to offer script notes on a film that's 40 years beyond my help. <laughs> but even though we see the car in the background of the shot, Wade doesn't know it's there until no. he hears a tiny little creak. And he turns around and he just stares. Mm. And that whole scene is done with almost total silence. 
And it's the point, because and then he lunges and he's trying to get through the door and the car shoots forwards, but it never shoots forwards with any particular intent to kill. It's just trying to scare him or it keep doesn't, him. It doesn't it's it just wants to keep him there. It's play again, it's playing with him, isn't it? Like a like a lion or something. Yes. But this is I think the, the moment where the suspense really works. Because mm. eventually he's able to Oh the car guns its engine as yes. if it wants to suffocate him. Yes. And then it makes so much noise with its horn it breaks all the windows. Yeah. Um, and he, he leaps over the car, gets onto his bike, and, and off. whizzes off as the car smashes through the doors into the final chase. And uh, yeah, they're, they're chasing all over the place and all over the town and up cliffs and mm. over hill and dale. There's a point, I, I began to find some of the attempts to inject tension into the final sequence a bit trying because they're doing oh my god here comes the car it's too soon grab that spindle oh no I've dropped the spindle oh the cables too. and it's just ah. I'll splice these bits of cables just together get on with it yeah. yeah oh no the rope we're hauling you up on the rope and now the rope's got stuck and it's just it's, uh, there's, it's a bit too it's a bit too much dra- it's a bit too it's, much drama or it's, it's too staccato it needs yeah. to be it needs to be a final sprint. Mm. You need more of a sense of they've got... I suppose, maybe, again, maybe part of the problem is we don't know what their plan is. Yeah. If we knew what their plan was, you would have a better sense of their plan coming unravelled. But as it is, it's just people shouting things. We don't know what the stakes are, no. so we can't care about what's happening. That's kind of it, isn't it? Yeah. It's just a succession of people falling over and dropping things. Or There's a bit where Wade is climbing up the rope to try and get... And the car's kind of smashing into the rock face, and the rock face is just kind of crumbling away underneath him, which I assume, again, was done practically. But it looks fantastic. Yeah. I just hope that they weren't filming in a national park or anything, because they're, <laughs> they're really going to town on that rock face. It's just the way the rock face is crumbling underneath. It looks, it looks brilliant. Um, well, Wade and Luke, that's the name of Ronnie Cox's character, oh, right. Um, rile the car up so much that it's it's heading straight for them mm. and they leap out of the way and it goes right over a cliff again in a very nice shot because the car comes out and it's perfectly flat isn't it? and it yeah. doesn't fall like a real car because it just comes it, it, it actually does it kind of looks like it's flying but it's one of the few times when the stunt work doesn't look dumb or doesn't kind of fail to mesh with the supernatural it's, it's just a ni- really nice little shot I do think it's just a, a bit of a silly conclusion how do they get rid of the car oh they, they stand in front of the cliff and go hey come and run me over well and I guess the last yeah. minute they jump out of the way and it's been quite smart up again they, the, everybody's read the script but yeah the car's been smart up to that point um, I'm just trying to think what the equivalent would be in, in Jaws it would be like getting the shark to swim really really fast towards the beach and it realises at the last minute that it can't stop and it grounds itself well the, there is the ending of Tremors which is almost exactly the same I suppose where, it is isn't where it where they lure <laughs> the graboid yeah but also they throw uh, an explosive behind it mm. so the, the blast shocks it into running yeah. faster and it yes. doesn't know and it doesn't know that a cliff is there yes yeah, because it's under because it's underground, so it yeah. can't see. Yeah, but no, you're, I'd forgotten about the ending of Tremors. Yeah, it works in Tremors. Doesn't necessarily work so. But I suppose the <laughs> the character of the car would say that it's supernatural. Therefore, it knows that the fall isn't going to do it any damage. So if it misses them, it can just drive around and get them again. But if the fall isn't going to do them any damage, uh, for, if the fall well, doesn't yeah. damage the car. What would the explosives damage the car? Mm. 
because the car is buried or destroyed or something in this giant yes, yes. sheet of flame that fills the whole sky. Yeah. With uh, what looks at one point, as you say, like a sort of horrible mask that's kind of spitting fire or something. Yes. And yes, everybody's, as I've already said, everybody's writhing on the ground with assorted expressions of, oh my, I'm, oh my goodness, I'm seeing the most terrifying thing I've ever seen. Maybe it was just filmed at the end of a long day or something. Yeah, but uh, the film ends with the various deputies and, uh, and wife beaters watching the sun come up mm. in the distance. And then just as the image fades out, we hear that noise again. Do, 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 mm. do, do. And then... And then we have a really great end credit sequence. That's what I was going to say, was the closing, the, 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 the closing titles are brilliant because it's really, really low-angle close-ups of car tyres spinning fire. And it's terrifying. I've never seen a car tyre shot like that before, and it kind of fills the whole screen, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's really... Fright- it's actually potentially more frightening than anything that's been in the film up to that point. We have this um, arrangement of the, the Dies Irae mm. as the car drives around Los Angeles yeah. because it's survived after all and now it's moved to the big city. I see, yeah. like, like Predator or Gremlins. Or Jaws 2, yes. I yeah, Jaws, Jaws 2, Shark in the City. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah a, an early version of Babe, though. Um, I hadn't thought it. I, you know, I hadn't considered that, that what the film is saying is that the car survived and has gone somewhere else. I just assumed it was not a nice piece of footage that they kind of tacked on. And there was that point where I was kind of thinking, well, you you got all these nice shots for the closing titles. It's as if that was all shot sort of B-roll or something, and the director, the, and, and you know, the second unit director that had shot all that stuff didn't speak to anybody else and gone, oh, we can do this to make the car look more scary. But yeah, I hadn't considered that. Yes, it's 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 like like Crocodile Dundee's come to Los Angeles. <laughs> well, overall, I think it's a, a pretty decent little picture. Yeah, I don't think it pays off on all the promise of the premise. No, but it's got some tricks. It's got some tension. The fact that it makes an effort to be more than just a killer car movie, mm. I think, is to its credit. And, yeah, I think it, it deserves to be remembered as, a, you know, an example of the studio system, you know, having done, uh, looked into sort of countercultural movies mm. and that kind of thing. It's trying to absorb the whole new 70s horror movement into kind of regular studio movies. Yes, there is that sense of... Um... <sighs> people trying to come to terms with something they don't fully understand but going well the kids like this therefore if we can if we can if we can do this well if we can do this we'll make loads of money which is what yeah. it always comes down to i mean the, the the prevailing feeling in studios at the time seems to have been this new generation of directors has something about them that makes money mm. whatever it is they're doing it's successful so let's just give them money and let them make their movies yeah. And not worry about it because they make them cheap and they make a lot of money, and we won't we won't interfere. Whereas with the car, they're doing it from the other direction. They're thinking, well, these are the kinds of things that they're doing that are successful. Yeah. So let's get our our contract people to do something like that, and it doesn't quite work because it doesn't have the the perspective yeah. that your Scorsese or your De Palma or your Coppola might have. 
ironically, as Coppola started out making horror movies for Roger Corman. Yes, of course he did, didn't he? Yeah. So it's it's kind of almost the reverse of that. Mm. They're trying to sort of think about progressing with cinema tastes, but from the opposite direction. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting, and I suppose you are. You are kind of. I know that the, the the proper studio system was kind of long dead at this point. This is kind of. It's not. I, I'm not even sure what what the phrase is, but this is almost like its last. This is its absolute last gasp. This is the studio system going. Well, if we can just work out what's going on here, yeah, we'll all be millionaires. If we could figure out why Jaws was successful and copy it, if we could mass produce this unique thing, yes, yeah. we'll be rich. But it turns out they can't, because then you end up with Jaws 2. Thanks to Chris for making the time for this recording. Cinema Limbo is now on iTunes with 55 episodes available, so please download, review and subscribe. We're also on Twitter, at cinema underscore limbo, and Podnose is also on Patreon, so please do make a one-off or regular contribution to help with our running costs. I've also participated in the Alzheimer Society Memory Walk, so please head over to the Just Giving page at www.justgiving.com slash fundraising slash MW308839 to sponsor me. Thank you very much indeed. However, until next time, look both ways. by Jeremy Phillips, with editing and music by Philip Alderman. Cinema Limbo is part of the Podnose Podcasting Network, so please visit us at www.podnose.com.